Welcome, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Rec Poker Podcast Forums Edition. Um, you're stuck with me because our own Bluff Storini is watching his Steelers uh, maybe maybe lose to the Browns, maybe win, but probably lose. I'm Chris Jones. You can find me 5v5 on Poker Stars, uh, the Poker Stars home game, as well as on Twitter and threads. And as always, we are sponsored by the Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. We really thank for them for their support. And they've got a tournament series coming up in October. They'll be doing their scary-themed one, for a hollow, a hollow Scream. And it's always a good one. It's about a $360 uh, one, multiple day ones. There's some really good value in this tournament. Um, it usually gets a pretty big prize pool. And I think that seeing the crowds we're seeing in live games, I think they'll probably uh, have one of their, you know, they'll definitely get a big crowd for this. So it's it's worth uh, marketing on your calendar uh, and making your way out there uh, if you have the chance. Um, but I'm just uh, one of the people who make up uh, the Wrecking Crew. I'm also joined by my esteemed colleagues who I will I'll let them introduce themselves as well. My name is Joe Coolis, uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Joe Cool PhD, Cool with a K, or Elvita Eleven in the home game. I'm Kim Kilroy. I am PetVet or PetVet Thirty Three on most platforms. Fergie Fifty Six in the home game. And I'm Rob Washam, and I'm Rabman Fifty, just about everywhere. And tonight um, we're going to be talking about a post in the forums by ARW. And um, who's been a, a frequent poster, gives some really thorough uh, posts. And this one, I think, is, a, is an interesting one. It's one I think that uh, maybe a lot of players who play in like a, a sort of a smaller field, maybe one of the daily tournaments that they're playing in their local card rooms, they might find where there isn't a huge number of people paid in these sort of tournaments. And we have ourselves in a situation where... Um, this is a very common, I think, s- sort of, if you survive this long, it's a very common uh, point to find yourself at. So there's 25 left and there's 15 paid and he's playing eight handed. So um, we're getting down to it. You know, we got to get 10 more people to to go home before we get paid. Um, and um, that's kind of where these tournaments really, you know, like there's, there's points, there's inflection points in these tournaments, but this is one of those key times in these tournaments where we want to try to find our way, obviously, into this final table or, or, or into the, the paid money and then going towards the final table. Um, ARW writes, I built up an early chip lead and stayed a top 10 stack to this point. So we're in good shape uh, to make the money with this stack. We can try to take advantage of this and put some pressure on as the bubble plays into uh, plays into the, this a bit more. Um, and, uh, he writes, my table was playing straightforward with no one playing crazy, no one really getting out of line, but everyone was fighting to get chips when they play a hand. Um, his opponent raises from the hijack, uh, to 2.25 big blinds. I don't know how you quite do that. You know, um, this, maybe this is online actually. I I thought this was live, but, um, once he says that, it sounds it sounds like it might be uh, online. But anyway, his uh, opponent raises uh, from the hijack to 2.25 big blinds with about 25 blinds behind. He has king king um, and he's in the cutoff. So right uh, right next door. And he's trying to decide between three betting or calling. 
Um, and he has 50 big blinds. So he covers this player uh, and the players behind him, respectively, on the button. He covers all of them, uh, have 30 big blinds in the button, 15 in the small blind and 20 in the big blind. So we cover everyone, including the original Razor. Um, we've got a very strong holding. Um, and um, let's just start there. What What are your thoughts here about this kind of situation? And, um, you know, deciding between sort of raising or calling with this kind of holding in this kind of spot. Uh, do you want me to go? Sure. Yeah. Let's, let's hear you. Um, I, I like raising better, but I know that the solver would say, and I'm just checking it on GTO wizard. Now it's about 50, 50 call or raise. Mm -hmm. So I like the call is obviously to induce the stacks behind us to mm -hmm. shove um, and disguise the strength of our hand. If we do get a heads up with the preflop razor, um, I, I just prefer, I just always prefer um, raising with these hands. Like I don't want three people calling behind right. and going there with, with kings. I kind of I kind of agree there. I I probably raise more often than I call. I think if I had fewer chips and I was trying to, you know, uh build up my stack, but right now I'm ahead of everybody at the table, right? Or everybody that's involved in this hand. So, I don't feel the need to try to induce people to play to build a bigger chip stack. So if I was like at 20 big blinds or, you know, something like that, then maybe I would do a, a just a call just to try to get more people involved so I could gather more chips. But when I'm at this chip stack, I agree with Kim. I don't want to go multi-way. I want to, you know, I want to go against one person who feels they're strong enough to uh, come after me after I three bet. Mm -hmm. I would agree with everything that's been said, except for I would say it depends on, I mean, if it's an online tournament, you know, what's, what, what are the stakes? And I guess that's true for live as well, because, um, with King King, um, people will make so many mistakes in terms of what they're calling off with at these stack depth stages don't play them very well. And so <clears throat> you don't really need to do a lot to induce people to get something in if They've got a hand, uh, and you, you really don't want to, I mean, I don't even know if you want to be have two callers if you're going to have people that can outdraw you, um, you know, on the flop with some, you know, garbage that they decided to call easily. So I, I do think you need to raise it, but I think that that raise may even be just all in if the if the stakes are low enough and you'll you'll get enough action on your big hands not to have to worry about it. Yeah, and I'm I'm gonna throw it out. Like I think um I I do tend to raise I think as the as the bigger stack here, I, I, I tend to raise more often here as well, uh like what Rob said here. Um but I will I will flat uh, particularly if I've seen somebody behind me um be very active in terms of their shoving and squeezing spots. Then I'm like, okay, I, I can really uh kind of make a make a meal out of this one so i i will sometimes find a flat and i will i will 
if I had 20 big blinds in this spot or 15 big blinds, then I'm really finding a lot of flats um, because my my risk of sort of ruin here is lower and I can um, I can I can and and my the value of getting more more involvement in this hand from folks whereas when I just shove I just kind of win a lot and that just feels like with kings it just feels really ugly and if so then the question I guess is so if we are going to raise here um Joe, you mentioned maybe against sort of less experienced players, maybe we even just kind of put it in and just put, put some people to the test. Um, but if we're not going to put it in, how how big are we going? I'm going 7.5 to 8 here, but probably closer to 7.5 with this strong a hand. Mm-hmm. Agreed. You know, like three times. Right around three times the original raise. Um, that's going to be putting a lot of pressure on the stacks behind you. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not going to be able to just call mm-hmm. because they're going to be putting so much of their stack at risk. Their only option then is to go all in, which is what you want, right? right. You've got kings. You you would love one of these smaller stacks to go all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't even mind. Keeping it six point five to seven, right? Just yeah, yeah. And I, I, I would say even here with with the the lower step, I, I'm probably even going a little lower than that. Um, I'm probably going five point five to six here because I'm in position because the other stacks are so short, um, and um, because I want to give them some room to feel like like I could fold, um where it might get harder the bigger I go. But I, I I can see the the reason to do the the big the bigger raise will actually put some pressure on these the stacks like like a 20 and 30 big blind stack behind us can't really think about calling. Um so it's um it's it it will definitely induce some potential shoves if that's what we're trying to get with some of their stronger holdings. Um so uh ARW writes as played I decided to call the 30 big blind stack jammed all in um the original razor folded and I called with king king and I lose to jack jack he's not being results in- oriented not wanting to worry about this this was a great spot for me but he has some additional questions um when when we do this when we do take the the flat option what is the w- his question is what is the worst hand that we think that the button would do this with like what when what kinds of hands are we getting to and i think this is an interesting question because this is this is start this is start of the the question of like can i flat here what hands are actually typically doing i mean you know obviously they can have anything right because it can be you know it could be total nonsense but it, against a competent player what are you expecting to see once once the button takes this action? Um, offsuit, offsuit aces to like ace queen mm-hmm. would be the worst, maybe. Um, I I would say the solver likes um, pocket eights to pocket tens. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I know people will do it with a lot more than that. Seven, sixes, fives, they'll do it um, to squeeze. I'm like thinking they're just going to, they've got like a lot of, a lot of folds there. And they're not worried about the collar. Like they're, they're, no, they're only worried about the initial razor. So, and then the initial razor has to worry about the collar. So I've seen them do it with a lot less than, than eights, but at the stack size, the, the solver likes eights to tens. Uh, and sometimes jacks, but prefers just a raise with jacks. Um, and then it also likes the suited kings, king, mm-hmm. queen, king, jack, king, ten. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Yeah, and I think you're right. I, I think especially those smaller pairs, I do see that a lot. Uh, even at some of the higher stakes uh, games, I see people doing this with like deuces or threes in squeeze spots uh, and then getting snapped off by things like kings. Um, I think that's that is something I think if you have those kinds of opponents, those are the kinds that you can maybe start to think about flatting here with kings. Um yeah. I don't well, I mind the, the I don't mind the squeeze with threes and deuces, but I prefer it against one opponent, not when you've had two people. Yeah, yeah. In yeah. the hand. So yeah. well, it's really the squeeze is usually typically because there is a raise and a call. And then you're squeezing. They call it a squeeze because there's that guy who called is in between, mm-hmm. right? So we're squeezing him, and we're actually squeezing the original guy because he has to worry about the guy right. Right. after him. So I think what happens in that squeeze situation is people will expand their range quite a bit mm-hmm. because of the dynamic there between the original razor and the caller. There's so much pressure now when you do raise. So I think you you do get a little bit wider range. Um, I personally, when I first looked at this question, I thought um, nines or tens plus ace king, um, ace queen, and then maybe um, king, king queen suited and, and hands like that would be my value, my value squeeze. And then I'd probably throw in some um, smaller, like ace four, ace five suited to just to round it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't shop with aces. You would just raise. Yeah, I've, I've squeezed. I'm not saying no, shove. No, I'm saying this is a squeeze for all in. So oh. like, he's just asking what well, hands are the worst. Well, at would... the stack sizes that you are, you know, if you've got 30 big blinds and you're, um, I mean, you might as well at that point just jam it all in with any two cards that you're planning on squeezing with. But you wouldn't want to do that with aces. No. Why not? I wouldn't want to do that with aces. I would just raise with aces. And I would raise with some other hands too, right? And some hands that I'm going to fold, like those, like you said, those like lower suited aces, you can just raise with. Now you're going to raise fold those. You're going to raise call. Your aces, ace, king suited. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I'm looking at the chip stack sizes. And I'm thinking that I'm going to be putting a lot more pressure on them by jamming all in with 15 big blinds or 20 big blinds. Right. But this guy has 30. Yeah, I think that's. I agree with 15. Yeah, 15 or 20, I think they're all getting in. I don't think there is a raise size, but 30, maybe there's, I think there's room to make two sizes. Yeah. I'll give you that. 
Yeah. At 30, yeah, you probably do have a raise uh, where you can get away from it and still have 20 big blinds. So, right. um, so I, I mean, I think it's real. it's, it's interesting to think about, you know, kind of what is the word? I think that's a, a really interesting way to think about this. Um, ARW also asks, um, how often do you think one of the players behind will will take this option, take this squeezing option? And this is where I think, you know, we're starting to think about, well, you know, if I'm going to if I'm going to do this flatting, it really because I what I don't want to see this go is like four ways to a flop with kings, you know, ace magnets. And now I'm just like, don't know what to do with myself. Um, but I do think that um, this really this question for me depends on the field. It really depends on the field and it depends on on our opponents. Um, we're getting down to it and there are some tournaments where as we're getting down to like 10 away from the money that people aren't going to like do a bunch of nonsense. Like they're going to, they're, they're tightening up. They're becoming sort of clamshells. They're not going to go crazy here. And in fact, we are going to find ourselves like they're going to take their ace jack off suits and, um, I think there's some types of opponents who's going to take their ace jack offsuit and squeeze jam here. And I think there's some who are going to be like, I'm, I'm, I'm either folding or, or flatting here, but I'm never jamming it in here. Um, and I think we have to start, we have to make some observations about our opponents in terms of like what kinds of players we're up against. If we're, if we're taking this flatting action, we should know, who behind us has the capability of taking a hand. I like, I think what we want to have happen is because I, I agree with some of those thoughts about ace queen and maybe eights or nines being sort of like hands that, you know, probably do this on a fairly regular basis. But I think it's those hands like, will they do this with fives? Will they do this with ace jack? Will they do this with um, king queen? some of those kinds of hands. And if we can say yes to that, then I start to like the flat flat a lot more. Um, but I'm curious about your thoughts on that. Well, I think that this is a good advertisement for paying attention, particularly uh, if you get into the tournament, um, you know, very early, um, you've got a ton of chips early on. You can use them to, particularly if it's a smaller field to start getting notes, getting some ideas, um, and I, this may not be the smartest thing that I do, but in, you know, everybody on the panel can criticize me if they do that. But sometimes if I get a button opener uh, and I'm on the small blind and I want to find out what the guy on the left of me is going to do, I'll just call, which you know makes me look a little fishy by calling the small blind. But if I could do that once or twice and every time he uh, squeezes, well, that's something I'm writing down for later in the tournament in the hopes to say, well, what's he going to do in that situation? And can I get him or her to do that at a later point? Um, it doesn't cost a lot, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a half a big blind, but it gives me a lot of information. But you also can watch and see who squeezers like to squeeze. And so they're going to more likely do it. So if you see it a couple of times, um, whereas another player just simply flats all the time in that spot, well, that's really good information as well that you really need to mine in a tournament, even if you don't see them again, because you just never know. You know, you never know who's going to be back at the at the final table if you make it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you just look at the yeah, ranges, 
if you just look at the ranges that are likely to three bet all in, that can give you a pretty good idea of how often people are going to be, you know, they're going to be doing this, right? So let's say you think it's probably a 10% range that might um, three bet all in here. Well, that means that 10% of the time, uh, somebody's going to have a hand that they can do that with, and 90% of the time, they're going to fold. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's really math at that point in time, other than what, what Joe said, any observations you have about a specific opponent. Well, with, with no information whatsoever, all you need to do is determine what you feel their range would be to make that move, and then what is that percentage, and that'll tell you how often it'll happen. Right. And the nice thing is you get, if you think that they're all playing that way, you get that 10% three times, right? So then it starts to become a more more likely uh, scenario versus uh, if there's just one player behind you and you're just, if you're flatting here with Kings from the small blind and you're counting on the big blind to do this, um, then you've got, I think, a, a dicier proposition. In fact, the earlier we are, the more I think we can try to consider these sort of slow play or whatever you want to call these, these sort of trapping moments um, because there's more opportunity for somebody to wake up with the kinds of hands that we're hoping that they have uh, when we've got a hand as strong as Kings. Um, So ARW's last question, I think is the one that I, I I'm sort of curious to hear from everyone, whether you do any randomizing at any point in your sort of poker uh, play um, and ARW writes, I wanted to randomize how often I call or three bet. Uh, what technique would you use at the table to randomize it? This is why I thought it was live because I think this is, this is super easy online, right? There are these little randomizer, little clock things that you can just have on as part of most, uh, you know, playing sessions and you can just get a random number generator. And it's, it's like, it's not really even, that's the best way to do it. If you're going to play online, I think. Um, but I'm curious, do any of you randomize uh, in any decisions you make at the poker table? And if you do, how how do you do it, particularly live? I don't. Well, I I don't. <laughs> some, some people would I, argue that my play entirely is random. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't, but. But if I was to do it, there's uh, something we we learned in the poker brain when we were doing the book study with Matt Matros. He likes to use cards. He likes to use the suits and the colors. Mm-hmm. So you look at your first card. If it's red, it's you know you, it's either red or black, and you choose that before the session starts, right? So you know that. If a decision is going to be made, um, you're going to go, you know, if you're going to fold or call, right? Your decision is call. Let's say your decision is call or fold. If your first card you look at is red, you're going to call. If it's black, you fold. That's your, you know, you've got your random randomization there. You can also pick a specific suit. And if that first card is that suit, then it's like you got your 25%. So there's, and he only used, um, he only used those kind of methods because for him, it was either a 50-50 where it's half the time or it's most of the time. 
And so if it's most of the time, that's more of a 75, 25. And that was all he did. He never did the 33 or, yeah, yeah. you know, whatever. It was just, those were the types of things he randomized. And I generally look at the stakes that I'm playing, the people I'm playing against, and use, I, I kind of just, where you would normally randomize, I use the field that I'm against and the opponents that I'm against determine whether I'm going to call or fold or raise or fold or raise or call or whatever it might be. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a good one. The suits is a good one. Um, one I have, I rarely do this, but there are, I, there's sometimes like I, I want to try to do it and I have done this live. Um, most any poker chip on earth. Um, certainly the ones I played with, uh, in any venue I've been at, have a distinctive thing that is at, on one point of the chip. You know, it's either like there's like a, a spade or a club or a diamond, or there's like some of them have dice and it's like a one or a two or a three. But there's something on a chip that is like at one spot on the chip and you can sort of spin it, right? And it can point, you know, toward toward something right down or left and that's enough that's it that's the same kind of thing i do it in quarters so I, it's like okay if it goes to the bottom i'm folding if it goes to the top i'm i'm calling or whatever um and so that's that's another way you can do it with something that's just immediately available to you at the table and nobody really even knows what you're doing everyone plays with chips and you can just kind of like quickly spin it on the table and then you know it it, it barely anyone knows that that's what's going on even if you're worried that they're I'm not even, I wouldn't even be where I'd be happy to tell somebody be like, I'm spinning this to decide. Here we go. But, yeah. or you can take a coin, just take a coin out of your pocket and flip it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people do that at the yeah. poker table and yeah. it's, it's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, mostly, mostly cash, but it's hilarious because they're just gambling. Yeah. Yeah. That's all they want to do is they just want to gamble a little bit. Right. They're not right. really. I've seen some of those big streams where, um, like I saw, there was like a, almost a $400,000 hand where, um, I think it was, it was like Doug Polk and somebody playing and he, uh, he did a randomized thing where he had yeah. a, a spade and a heart and he said, look, I've got, I forget what he had. He had like pocket tens, right? It was a bluff catcher. And he said, if I turn over the heart, uh, you can mix them up. If you turn over the heart, I'll call. If you turn over the spade, and then he got his opponent to show him his hand, and he knew that it was a bluff, right? So now he knows that he wants to call, but he considered it binding, um, and so he turned it over and he folded, so he lost. But I, it, you know, it was one of those where, um, you know, that's a, I guess another way to do it, but that seems more far fetched. Um, also, they, I've seen these card protectors that have these little spinners on them, mm. and it usually has little words like fold call raise ha. whatever oh fun and you see people are all in and you'll see people spin those i mean it's just like a, a little uh you know uh like a car protector yeah magic eight ball it. kind of magic eight ball yeah, poker like to, addiction. Yep. making poker decisions right yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 oh go ahead joe go ahead i just wanted to make a pitch for people who may be listening to a podcast and going randomizing. Oh my God, I got to go in and randomize my hands now and things like that. Um, understand that you have to be playing a pretty high level of poker to 
have anybody to be able to have a good enough idea of what you're doing that randomization benefits you by making you hard to read or even to get to the point of like, you know, Polk was saying frequencies, right? I'm going to do this so that I, that I do enough frequencies. Um, I don't think that I've ever come upon a situation at this point in my career, and I've been playing for about four years, that I need to randomize because yeah. nobody's yeah. watching me that closely. Right. So. I, um, I would never use it live. I've never used it live. I, I would always use whatever reads I have at the table instead. Mm. If it's a decision between fold and call or call and raise, I would use um, the reads that I have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the table. And if 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 I don't have a read, then I'm probably erring on the on the side of lower variance and mm. just either folding or calling. Mm. Um, and I tried it online when I used to play before Ontario was a ringed fence. I, I tried having a randomizer on my on my desktop. Um, but I just like I, it would take so long to like, especially if I had more than one table going and go over and try and randomize and okay, it's thirty five. What's that? Lower or higher? So they change the ones exactly. I've seen. They change so quickly. You're like, okay, I'm making a decision, and here, and then you know, it's 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 already yeah. changed. It's hard to know, but okay. Well, yeah. So I agree with you, uh, Joe. I mean, like. This is not a high priority thing for most players. It's not something that you probably really are ever going to come into a point of needing to do. Um, It is, you know, something that if you are trying to figure out a way to not always do one kind of action. So if you're like, if you find that you're just, um, every time I have a draw, Right. Every time I have a like a, a a flush draw, I'm I'm just I'm raising too much or something. There may be ways you can try to like sort of slow yourself down a little through this process, and that I think can maybe be a healthy practice because sometimes we find ourselves. It's not that our opponents are going to read too much into us, but it might be that we're just getting ourselves into too much trouble by not sort of saying. And now we can say maybe maybe we have that sort of card randomization well every time i have a flush draw i'm gonna raise except when i have clubs then i'm gonna do you know i'm you know whatever you can make up your own rules but or whatever but that can be a way in which some of that randomization can help in terms of our frequencies that don't have a lot to do with what our opponent's reading but more like keeping our game in check a little as well it's interesting that you brought up that example yeah um I was gonna say Jim. Uh, so I'm looking I, at your name here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because that was one of the things that Matt Matros was talking about in that book, The Poker Brain. He was talking about if you always raise with your flush draw or always bet with your flush draw, then when the flush comes in, your opponent can very easily fold. But if you and if you never raise or call with your flush draw, when the flush comes in. Um, they won't know whether you are whether you have it or not. So that is one area because people concentrate so much on flush draws mm-hmm. at the table. Everybody is concentrated on those. So that's one area where you should try to randomize and not always do the same thing with your flush draw. Right. Right. So I, 
just inter- you know because we're supposed to argue on this uh, podcast um uh, obviously um miller would make the argument that if you know that your opponents are making errors more frequently in a particular direction there's no benefit to playing you know you really want to just um you know go in one direction that you just always want to exploit in that direction and you do that 100% of the time if there's any difference right and randomizing is trying to eliminate that difference so if you know that to a flush straw people are more likely going to be folding well then you you just always want to raise your flush you don't want to actually try to randomize because you're losing value that way because the frequencies get thrown off again you know the reason to randomize is to you know to get to the 70 30 that the solver says but again, we're not playing solver games. We're not playing solvers. We're playing people who make a ton of mistakes, right? Well, and I think I think part of that has to do with a little with what Rob was talking about on Matt Matros's sort explanation. There is that if we, for instance, say my opponents fold too much, mm-hmm. I'm going to raise all of my flush draws, right? No matter no matter what, if I've got if there's two cards on the on the flop and I've got two of them in my hand um that's a raising hand and here we go um the the problem lands because it's not just randomizing that moment but we have to sort of account for all the possible turn and river nodes or cards to come right and so it, on the river I don't think this matters as much, right? I don't think we need to like randomize uh, our approach or or have different frequencies. Um, but if our opponents can say no now, that every time they raise and the third club comes on the turn or doesn't come on the turn, um, now I can perform this kind of action and there are going to be some you know it's it's going to take time and it's going to take certain instances and it's going to take and in in a lot of cases if you just show up at like a you know a world series of poker event and you're plopped in and you're playing in a player pool that's never seen you before and whatever yeah just play your just play your poker just play your whatever poker you think is best but over time if you're playing some good opponents and even not like i'm not talking like you know elite opponents but just good observant opponents um there's going to be some areas that they're going to catch up on if you're always playing those kinds of spots the same I, that I would, would be my response to that yeah um okay uh i think that's a good note to maybe sort of wrap this up on uh any other thoughts on this uh post uh from arw no uh, all right. Well, I want to thank uh, ARW for uh, tuning in and, and uh, leading us through this conversation. It was a good conversation. Lots of good questions asked. Um, as always, I want to thank Running Aces Hotel, Racetrack, and Casino. Uh, and I want to thank uh, Joe, Rob, Kim and, uh, for helping out with this conversation. And then you, the listener. We couldn't do this without you. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you again next time.